0: Listening to episode three of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter five, Diurnia Orbital, December 18, 2372. Mr. Wyatt had the coffee service in the cabin almost before we settled, and he grinned at me as he slipped out, latching the door behind him. Mr. Larks made appreciative noises over the coffee and looked around the room. "'You look very comfortable here, Captain.' "'Thanks. It's where I call home, "'and given how much time I can't live anywhere else, "'it's just as well.' "'His laugh was a low rumble in his chest. "'Makes sense, I suppose.' "'He sipped once more and then leaned forward, "'propping elbows on knees and clasping his hands in front of him. "'So, how can I help you, Captain Wong?' "'I don't know, Mr. Larks. What do you do, "'and how much will it cost me?' "'He cocked his head as if to listen better out of his right ear.' "'I'm sorry, Captain, I'm confused. "'Miss Kingsley asked me to come help you with some financial planning. "'This trip costs you nothing other than this coffee and a little time. "'Yes, she said I should contact a financial planner. "'I didn't realize she'd precipitate the meeting. "'She said you're about to come into a lot of money "'and that you needed some advice as to how to handle it. "'Did she say any more than that?' "'He shook his massive head. "'Only that she'd take it as a personal favor "'and I would probably find it worthwhile.' "'Well, she thinks I'm going to be coming into a lot of money, and she's probably right. "'This is out of my league, so some professional advice is probably called for.' "'He nodded, his eyes fixed on my face. "'I'll need to know how much money, and maybe something about where it's coming from. "'Do you know anything about the salvage claim against the Chernyakova? "'DST has a substantial stake in that.' "'Of course. They stand to make a nice bonus on that. "'Even for a company the size of DST, it's predicted to be a nice number.' He stopped in mid-thought, and recognition blossomed on his face. Ishmael Wong? You led the prize crew, of course. That's me. I apologize, Captain. I didn't make the connection, because you're listed as first mate on the documentation. Congratulations on making, Captain. Thanks. So you know that I'm going to be getting a big slice of that bonus. "'Indeed you are. I think you'll wind up with almost as much as the company gets. "'That's usually the way it pays out, "'although I confess we've never seen a salvage claim this big. "'Usually they're burned-out hulks, or parts of hulks. "'If this one had hit a rock, it might have been. "'We got to it before that happened.' "'He raised his mug in my direction. "'Well, congratulations. What do you want to do with your money?' "'He grinned playfully. "'I shrugged and leaned back on the sofa. "'I don't know. What are my options?' He placed his mug down on the table and sat back himself. Hmm. Well, for a company like DST, it's respectable, but for an individual, this is huge. I take it you're not already independently wealthy or already employing a team of tax accountants? I chuckled. No. Safe assumption. He nodded, and I could see him shifting his focus inward. Your share is probably going to come in between five and ten million. The first task is to protect as much of that as possible from tax exposure." I hadn't even considered taxes, but I grimaced inwardly as I realized that I should have. "'That kind of windfall?' he continued, frowning in thought. "'Without doing anything, you'd lose a quarter of it to taxes. You can invest it in ways that will cut that liability, generally by investing in the CPJCT,' he shrugged. "'They make the rules. We just have to figure out how to use them to our advantage.' "'Okay. What can I do if I just pay the taxes on it?' He pursed his lips and shook his head. "'Oh, you won't pay that much tax. We'll see to that.' The question is, what do you want to do? I really don't know. This is moving pretty quickly. Retire to the country? Buy a yacht? Pay off your school loans? Talk to me. I'm thinking of going and starting my own line. What? Buy a freighter? I nodded. His frown deepened. That's why I said for an individual it's huge. You're talking about starting a company with it? That's different. Why? Price a few ships, Captain. You'll see the problem. These vessels are expensive. There's a reason the Chanukova will fetch a good price, but it's going to be a fraction of what a new ship would cost. What about a fast packet? He shrugged. They're smaller and slightly cheaper, but they're still expensive and chancy to run. Chancy? Smaller ships, smaller cargoes, less flexibility. All the cargoes need to be relatively low mass, high value, and you're competing on speed of delivery because the big utility haulers will be competing on price. He made good sense. "'You've obviously been around the orbital a couple of times, Mr. Larks.' "'A few,' he said with his low, rumbling chuckle. "'A few.' "'So what's your recommendation, Mr. Larks?' He grimaced and shook his head. First, you need to figure out what you want, Captain.' I left that statement lying on the coffee table and nodded for him to continue. "'If you're serious about sailing about the galaxy, then think about maybe buying a yacht, something in the one-ton range.' You can pick up one of those for a decent down payment, and I can probably sit you up with an investment income that will pay your loan down while you loaf around the western annex. Do a little trading here and there, follow your nose. He let that settle a bit while I considered. After a few heartbeats, I asked, How much do I need to go indie with a real ship? I frowned, but I could see his wheels turning, so I didn't rush him. Eventually he sighed and pulled his nose between the thumb and forefinger of his left hand. Ten million will get you leverage on a loan for maybe forty more. If you use the money to promote the idea, gain some venture capital backers, maybe you could raise enough. How much is enough? Probably a hundred million to start. The problem with a loan is you have to cover the payments. On a hundred million, that's a lot of freight. With venture capital, you only need to deal with keeping them happy. Usually it means something like five or ten percent per annum. How does that help? "'With the right backers, you don't need to start paying back "'until the contract says. "'Maybe a year, maybe two, maybe five. "'Depends on the backers and the contract.' "'I could feel my excitement fading. "'But what you're saying is this settlement is enough to retire on, "'but not to do anything with.' "'He shook his head. "'Not at all. "'That would be a good stake for, say, a trade broker. "'Somebody with a nose for cargo and value "'could make a good living brokering cargo around the sector. "'It hadn't occurred to me to go into a different business.' I tried it on for size in my mind. While I was thinking, he continued, "'It's more than enough to open a restaurant. You could open a store. You'd be surprised how well import-exporters do here in a hub like Diurnia.' "'Those are interesting ideas, and I'll need to think about them. Don't underestimate the value of retirement, Captain. You'd never have to work another day in your life with that much cushion.' We can set you up with a very secure package that would generate upwards of three or four hundred thousand a year in income for you. How much house could you get with that kind of backing? You tell me, Mr. Larks. He held out his hands and looked around the cabin. A heck of a lot more than this, Captain. He nodded at the armor-glass port, with a much nicer view than that. I turned my head to follow his gaze and had to agree that the scuffed and stained metal skin of the orbital was not the most attractive of views. I turned back to him. "'Thank you, Mr. Locks. You've given me a lot to think about, but it's all moot until the auction closes and the credits show up here.' He gave me a small nod. "'Agreed. But it's never too early to start planning, Captain, although I don't envy you the decision.' He drained his mug and placed it gently on the table with a thoughtful expression. "'With coffee like that, you might seriously consider opening a shop.' "'Thanks.' I grinned and walked him back down to the lock. Before he left, we traded contact data, and I thanked him again before closing the lock behind him. Mr. Hill looked at me oddly as I turned to head down the passage back into the ship. Comments, Mr. Hill. It doesn't look like he helped much, Skipper. I turned to look at the closed lock as if I could see through it to his retreating back. Actually, I think he did, Mr. Hill. Really, Captain. I pursed my lips in consideration. He showed me some limits, Mr. Hill. It's always good to know the boundary conditions. He looked at me uncertainly as if he weren't sure what I just said. "'If you say so, Skipper,' I smiled at him. "'Carry on, Mr. Hill.' He settled back to his console as I headed back to the cabin to retrieve the tray for Mr. Avery. When I entered, the scarred silvery metal reminded me that the view that Richard Lark saw wasn't the one that I usually had. I stood there for a moment admiring the close-up look at the side of the orbital and thinking about what it was that Jeff Maloney thought I could teach his daughter.' I didn't come to any conclusions about what I would do, but I was pretty sure I knew what I wouldn't be doing. With a grin, I collected the used coffee tray and headed back down to the galley. Chapter 6. Diurnia Orbital, December 18, 2372 How sure are you, Skipper? His question came just as we finished up after the lunch mess. About what, Avery? About Gwen passing this time. I sighed and shrugged. Miss Kingsley seemed pretty sure. I didn't think these things could be rigged. I blinked at him. What do you mean rigged? Well, you know, established in advance. Do you think it is? Well, don't you, Captain? He looked at me with an odd, almost haunted expression. I mean, how can she be sure unless Jeff Maloney pulled a string and that string has a master's license tied to it? Well, I'm trying to keep an open mind here. Remember that there are three captains involved, and the findings are reported in summary, not in detail. Any strings that got pulled may have only been tied to the process, not to the outcome. His eyebrows beetled in confusion. What would be the point of that? Boards generally take a while to convene, from what I know of the process. There's a certain amount of serendipity involved that governs who sits on which board. Luck of the draw kind of thing, he asked. Exactly. So if all Maloney did was pull in a favor to reschedule the examination, that's still going to leave the findings up to the captains involved. I think anything more would run the risk of getting the board's collective hackles up and work against him in terms of getting his desired outcome. I could see him processing that notion and waited. After a dozen heartbeats, he nodded slowly. Okay, I guess I can see that. The other thing to remember is where Gwen was a stand year ago. Frustrated? Frustrated? Bitter. Loud, he added with a grin. I snorted a short laugh. Yeah, loud, too. But remember that episode with the bacon grease? Avery's hand went to his eyebrows, which had grown back relatively quickly. Oh, yes. Can you imagine the difference now? What do you think she'd do if it were to happen today? He looked thoughtful as he considered it. Point taken. If they did indeed manage to reconvene her last board, and we have no real guarantee that they did— Think of how that difference will appear to them. He nodded slowly. It's pretty dramatic. You changed your life, you know, Captain. I think you've done as much, if not more, than I have, Avery. He actually blushed. Now, go get some sleep, I eyed the chrono. She'll be back in a few stands, and you'll want to be awake. I'll get the dinner mess going. With a small wave of his hand, he headed for the ladder. Plan on seven for dinner. Mr. Paul stopped by earlier and said he'd be dining out tonight. Seven for dinner, aye, aye. He grinned and disappeared around the corner, leaving me sitting at the table in the empty mess deck with two stands before I needed to start dinner. I fetched myself another cup of coffee in the console's keyboard. The events of the previous day had left me dizzy with a combination of peril and possibility. I submerged myself in the pool of mundane routine and didn't come up for air until Mr. Hill sauntered onto the mess deck with an empty cup in his hand. A little preoccupied, Skipper. He smiled as he crossed to the coffee urns. Just clearing the red tape, I flexed my back and twisted my torso left and right to stretch out the muscles before I tried to stand up. How are things out there? Quiet. He glanced at the chrono. The chief went ashore right after lunch mess and Mr. Paul about a half stand ago. Other than that, nothing interesting. He sipped his fresh mug. Nothing at all, in fact. A yawn caught me and stretched my jaw. He grinned at me. Am I keeping you up, sir? Yes, Mr. Hill. I didn't get my morning nap today. He paused for a heartbeat before asking. Too much to think about. His voice carried a hint of levity, but his eyes were serious. I took my own mug to the urn for a refill. At the moment, too many questions and not enough answers. There was only about a half a cup left in the urn, and I set the mug aside to make some more. Mr. Hill mumbled, Oh, sorry about that, Skipper. I didn't realize I'd taken the last cup. Not a problem, Mr. Hill. As I went about making a new pot, he watched without making a move to go back to his watch station. With a glance at the door, he asked, "'So what are you going to do, Captain?' I gave him a look out of the corner of my eyes and considered the question. "'I don't really know yet, Mr. Hill. Like I said, too many questions and not enough answers at the moment.' I pressed the button to kick the water flow into the ground beans, leaned back against the counter. "'There's a good deal of speculation about just how much money the Chanukova will fetch, and that's the governing factor.' As I said those words, I realized it didn't ring true and amended it. "'Well, one of the governing factors. What are the others, skipper, if you don't mind my asking? Well, what DST does to me and with me is certainly a factor. They seem to like you well enough, captain. True enough, mister Hill, but they seem to think I'm not going to want to keep working for them after this windfall. Will you, sir? What, keep working for them? No, sir. Want to. I considered it for a few heartbeats before answering. It's too soon to say, but that decision isn't really in my hands if Ames Jarvis puts me ashore, I'm off the ship. Can he, sir, put you ashore? Under normal circumstances, probably not, but with the management shake-up and the retiring of part of their fleet, DST gets a lot of flexibility. The board of directors can do a lot that they wouldn't be able to otherwise with a major change like the death of the majority stockholder and CEO. I couldn't help but remember my first berth right out of the academy and the difficulty Maloney had had with getting rid of a bad captain— I knew my own contract included a clause including business necessity as just cause for beaching a captain, a clause missing from Leon Rossett's, but which had become standard ever since. Mr. Hill looked into his mug, and I could see him working up to the real question. You think Ms. Thomas is going to get the Agamemnon, sir? Yes, Mr. Hill, I do. But a lot will depend on what she does tomorrow. He swirled the coffee around in his mug a bit, but didn't answer. Finally, he shrugged and shuffled off the mess deck without saying anything else. I sighed as he went. He didn't seem particularly pleased at the prospect, but then he wasn't happy when Arione joined the crew, either. Maybe he was just one of those people who didn't like change. With the urn full, I grabbed a fresh cup and checked the chrono. There was still a bit of time before I needed to start dinner, so I settled back at the keyboard and pulled up the ships for sale section of the Station Net classified ads. Larks had been right about one thing. Starting out too far in debt would be a bad move, and as much as it sounded like a lot... Ten million did not go very far in commercial space. Cargo hauling was profitable. If it weren't, nobody would be able to do it. But I'd learned back on the Lois McKendrick that the key to profit is diversification and quantity. The more you could haul of different cargos, the better off you were. Items with larger profits subsidized the less profitable, and the risk of hauling any given cargo got spread across the range of goods shipped. Smaller ships didn't leave much room for diversification or quantity. There were some other ships for sale in Diurnia. I didn't see a listing for the Jezebel, but there was a two-metric-ton yacht with an amazing list of amenities, including a movie theater, hot tub, sauna, and cabins for four. The ship itself had decent sail specs for a small ship, but the Burleson Drive was underpowered for any kind of distance, and the fuse actors seemed too small to keep the lights on, let alone spooling up the keel generators. There were a couple of used Damien 8s and a rare Unwind six. The Damians had nice cabin space, some reasonably sized holds, and enough legs to get almost anywhere in the western annex in a few weeks. The Damians had asking prices just under 200 The Unwin was almost as high, and the oversized sail generators meant run times would be blindingly fast, justifying the relatively small price differential against the smaller mass rating. I rested my elbows on the table and cupped my hands in front of my face, resting chin on palms and wondering what I kept missing. The Carstairs clan all sailed fast packets and did very well. I wondered how they did it. On the whim, I pulled up another query and looked for priority cargos. From my experience on the Agamemnon, I knew about the priority cans, but had never really looked at the kinds of cargos a small, fast ship might carry. I had to admit it looked very doable. I did some rough calculations on operating costs and realized that some of the cargos available at Diurnia would make a nice profit if they could be delivered in under four weeks, orbital to orbital. Risky, if the jumps went bad, but I looked out a little further in time and found some reasonable cargoes. With the right ship, a small crew, a little luck, life in a fast packet could work out nicely. The only problem was getting the ship. I had a feeling I was missing something there as well. The chrono clicked over and reminded me I'd have almost a full crew for dinner mess, so I cleared the screen and stowed the keyboard. I would have to wait until I had more time to think. chapter 7 Diurnia orbital december 18 2372 miss thomas returned looking like she'd been dragged through a half-meter pipe when she stumbled onto the mess deck looking slightly bewildered and even a bit disheveled i confessed to being a bit taken aback are you okay miss thomas she nodded a glimmer of triumph in her eyes behind the exhaustion she made her way to the table and collapsed in her normal seat just tired captain i took a cup of coffee to her and she accepted it gratefully I caught her looking at the chrono and frowned. "'Did you have lunch, Miss Thomas?' She looked up at me guiltily. I grabbed a quick bite. It wasn't enough, and I ran out of time. I tisked at her and pulled a couple sandwiches out of the ready cooler. "'Dinner mess isn't for another half-stand or so, "'but this should hold you over until we can get some hot food into you.' A lot of people don't really understand the absolute need that heavy-worlders have for calories. Her body was maybe a third denser than the average human and a by-product of generations of living on a high-gravity world.' The extra load kept her metabolism cranked all the way up and required her to eat. We'd had a couple of people from Heavy Worlds on the lowest, and we always made sure they got enough. I know, Skipper, but there was a crowd, and I couldn't get served quickly at lunch. I only had a stand before I had to get back to the afternoon session. How do you think you did? She shrugged and tucked into the sandwich. At least as well as the last time, I think. She finished off the first half and picked up the second. That last test of the day is a little fuzzy, but I had a candy bar in my pocket. She grinned and plowed through the other half of sandwich. Well, tomorrow won't be so bad in that regard. When I took my test, I had food and drink available most of the day. She nodded and kept eating. I went back to fixing a spiced beefalo casserole that I'd been trying to recreate ever since I'd left Lois McKendrick. Cookie had this way with it that I suspect had more to do with the spices he used than anything else, and I just did not have his depth in the spice rack. I checked the time and realized I'd forgotten to start the rice, so I spent a couple of ticks trying to catch up. I looked up when Mr. Wyatt came out of the mess deck and crossed to where Miss Thomas had finished her sandwiches and was nursing the coffee along. She already looked better. The biscuits went into the oven with just about no time to spare. Mr. Wyatt heard the oven door close and looked up guiltily from where he had his head together with Miss Thomas's. I'm sorry, Skipper. You need a hand. I smiled at him. No, we're good, Avery. I just want to put together a green salad to go with. Did I see some freshly vegetables in the cooler? Oh, yes, sir. I picked up a bit extra this trip. I heard them murmuring together, but it wasn't loud enough for me to eavesdrop, even from the other side of the galley, so I focused on getting the remaining pieces of dinner together. At 1745, Mr. Wyatt pulled up the keyboard and we changed the watch. I began filling trays for buffet dinner so we would be ready at 1800 on the mark. As the time approached, more of the crew arrived, Mr. Hill and Mr. Schubert discussing something about the flea market, and when Chief Gearhart came in, she went right to where Gwen sat, and I could see that between Avery and the Chief, Miss Thomas looked a little more comfortable, a little less gray and weak. At 1800, we called Miss Arione from the watch station, and I grabbed a plate. The only one missing from dinner was Mr. Paul, and for the first time I realized that, unlike my other ships, we tended to mostly eat together as a crew. I settled at the table as everybody finished helping themselves and wondered if they liked the food or the company. A sudden pang stabbed me when I thought that, in all likelihood, I'd be gone in just a couple of days. The assembled company all looked to me to take the first bite, and with a start, I stopped wool-gathering and took a forkful of beefalo. There was still something missing, although maybe it was just better in memory than reality. The crew followed suit, and I caught Chief Gerhard sneaking glances at me. I gave a little shrug and grinned as I stopped trying to figure it out and just enjoyed the meal. At 1900, everybody had eaten, and the ratings took themselves off to their own amusements. Miss Arione's amusement, being restricted to the watch station at the Brow, they adjourned there for an impromptu meeting of the co-op. From the deposits going into the ship's count, I gathered they were doing very well, and it felt good. Miss Thomas held court from her seat, and the chief kept her company while Avery and I cleaned up the galley and mess deck. It didn't take long before we were all settled with fresh coffee and nothing much to do. Naturally, they turned on me. Chief Gerhardt opened the conversation with, "So, Captain, what are you going to do when you're filthy rich?" She'd recovered some of her spark, and I liked the attention. Well, Mister Lark suggested that I take the money, buy a nice house on the planet, and retire to the country. Miss Thomas sniffed, "Like that'll happen." Greta looked at her in mock surprise. "Oh, you don't think so, Gwen?" "Not a chance." Miss Thomas grinned at me across the table. If he went ashore, he'd be bored in a week and want to move to another planet. They all chuckled, and I joined in. Probably right, I admitted. I'm a little young to retire. Gwen paused there before following up with the obvious question. So, are you going to go, Indy? I sighed a little and frowned into my cup. I think I'd like to, but it doesn't look like it. Why not? Chief Gerhardt looked surprised by my answer. At almost the same instant, Miss Thomas asked why. They both laughed, and I looked back and forth between them, one at a time. The chief opened her hand, palm up, as if to offer the floor to Gwen. You first. She chuckled a bit and nodded graciously. Thank you, chief. Turning to me, she hitched forward a bit in her seat. Why would you want to go Indy? I have to confess that it never occurred to me to ask that question. I don't know that I have any good answer other than it's what we're supposed to do. She frowned at me. Like you were supposed to get married? Avery and Greta looked on with a great deal of interest and not as much amusement. The question didn't have the barb in it that it might have, but seemed more driven by honest curiosity. I suppose so. Yes, I mean, isn't that the dream? Get enough credits in one pile to have a ship of your own. I looked from face to face. Chief Gerhardt looked at me like I had said something in a foreign language that she didn't quite understand. Avery smiled a gentle smile, but offered no comment. Miss Thomas kept the reins of the conversation though and pressed me. "'Maybe. But going Indy is a big step, and not one I think I'm ready for myself,' she paused for a moment before adding. "'I think I'd be happy just carrying somebody else's cargo. Let them have the risk and take my reward from the doing.' She made a very good argument, I had to admit. "'I made a good living, and I had a good life.' My eyes strayed briefly to Chief Gerhard and quickly away. There were liabilities to being captain, but part of that issue revolved around some relatively artificial constraints.' I considered that as I looked to Miss Thomas, soon-to-be-Captain Thomas if the Maloney legacy bore fruit, and realized that there was no good reason for her to step back from every wild. They'd make a dynamic pair with her at the helm and him managing the cargo. I frowned as my concepts, many firmly reinforced at the Academy, began to rub up against the reality of living in the deep dark, and with all that entailed. "'Okay, my turn.' Chief Gerhardt took advantage of the law in the conversation to steer it in her direction. Why won't you go, Indy? I can't afford it. They both blinked at me, turned to each other for a moment, and then looked back at me in disbelief. You can't afford it. The chief had her hand palmed down on the table between us and leaned toward me with the intensity of her question. I met with Maloney's financial planner. We had a good talk about how much money it would take to go into business. I can't afford a ship. I'm not even sure I could afford the insurance on a ship. She sat back in her seat and glanced at Gwen before speaking again. I thought you were coming into a few million credits. That's the theory. We won't know exactly how many for a while. And that's not enough. The look of incredulity spread across all their faces, even though the question came from the chief. Apparently not. I looked around the table. Ships cost a lot, and as many credits as they've been talking about, it's not going to be enough for the down payment on a fast packet. Avery looked the most serious. "'He knew the most about what was likely going to happen, "'and the implications of my not getting a ship of my own "'were not lost on him. "'Did you talk to Larks about that?' "'Yes,' I said, looking down into my coffee cup, "'my mouth crawling off the side of my face in a grimace. "'His solution was, "'buy a yacht and sail around to your heart's content.' "'I could see Gwen turning that idea over in her mind. "'A yacht is just a really small packet, Captain,' "'she said finally. "'And underpowered,' really small packet, I told her. I've looked at the configurations, and they have nice interiors but no legs. The problem is that a Burleson drive with any power at all needs a lot of juice to fold space. Chief Gerhardt nodded. That's true. Even a small ship needs a big heart to fold very far. She sighed and ran a hand through her cropped hair. Big heart needs a big frame. Big frame means bigger sail and keel generators, which means a bigger frame. I nodded glumly. That's even before we start talking about crew and cargo space. How do other people do it? The chief looked around the table, not just at me. Avery and Gwen just shrugged, and Gwen added, I don't know. I've never actually known anybody to do it. I know a few people who are already Indies, long family history and all, I offered to the group, but I have no idea how they manage it. I do know that one of my classmates had a ship waiting for him that his family arranged for when he got out of the academy. They only run fast packets. It's a specialty of theirs, and they must be doing pretty well to be able to swing another ship. After a few heartbeats, Chief Gerhardt asked, "'What about the Jezebel? "'If DST is unloading her, maybe you can get a deal.' Well, "'I thought of that, but I'm not sure how much of a deal they can give me. "'It's a business thing, and that's one heck of an asset "'to be writing down by that much.' She frowned. me 9500. What kind of shape is it in?' I sighed and shook my head. "'Pretty rough.' Needs a good cleaning and some repairs and paint. I looked at the engine room, and it looked okay, but not great. I told them I want a full inspection on before I'll even consider buying it. She snorted. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be useful. Best I could think of at the time. I got the impression that Kirsten Kingsley wanted me to commit to taking it right then. Gwen tisked, and even Avery looked taken aback. The chief was on a roll and wouldn't let it go. Can I see it? She seemed seriously interested. Those Higmies are not all that common. It's an awkward haul because of the cargo bunkers. Avery perked up at that. Why is that, Chief? Volume. It's got a single internal hole that runs down the middle of the main deck and a relatively low overhead. They're rated for 9,500 metric tons, which keeps them in the under-10 bracket for crews, but the volume of their cargo bunkers means you're lucky to get anything over three or four in them unless it's something particularly dense. I could see her vision turning inward, as she thought. A lot of captains don't like them for that. Makes it hard to get a full load. She focused on me again. Any chance you could get another look and take me with you next time? I can try. I suspect they've been busy today with the service for Maloney down on the surface, but let me ask. I popped my tablet out of its holster and sent a quick request to Kirsten Kingsley by way of DST's local office. Gwen and Avery had their heads together, and I had the smile. They'd not been an item that long, but they fit together so well, it made me happy just to look at them. I realized the chief was smiling fondly at them as well. Okay, request sent. We'll see what the answer is. Good, Gwen said with feeling. At least we can see what's there. Who knows? Maybe they'll decide against selling it. She looked around at us. As crazy as things have been, as unsettled as they must be over poor Jeff's passing, who knows? We all made some noises of agreement, but Avery gave me a knowing look, and even the chief looked my way as if to say, and you're not off the hook either. After a few ticks, Gwen crawled off the bench and stretched, arching her back and suddenly looking very fatigued. Well, I'm going to take advantage of Avery's sacrifice and go get some sleep. He smiled at her as she left the mess deck. Her short, heavy worlder legs giving her gait a bit of a roll. The chief slapped the table well, I for one, am going to take advantage of the night off and go see if I can get into some trouble. She stood gracefully and grinned wickedly. She said it so matter-of-factly that both Avery and I laughed. She stood there for a moment, and I thought she was going to say something else, but she just waved and sailed out clattering up the ladder behind Gwen as she went to her state room to change into civvies. Avery looked at me across the table. And then there were two. Why didn't you go with her? Who, Gwen? He shot me an exasperated look. Greta, she all but asked you along. I shook my head. No, she's going to go have some fun. She doesn't need me tagging along. We sat there quietly for a bit and heard her coming back down the ladder and head for the lock. She called gaily into the mess deck as she passed. Don't wait up. "'We'll leave a light on for you,' Avery shouted at her back. I could hear his silvery laugh echoing down the passage, and in two more ticks, the lock opening and closing. The whole time, Avery Wyatt just sat there, considering me with a dour look on his face. "'What?' He shook his head. "'Nothing.' He paused to sip his coffee. "'You think she's going to get her master's ticket?' I nodded, spinning my near-empty mug around on the table with my fingertips. "'I do.' According to Kingsley, she only just barely missed it before. Maloney wrote a letter, she has a new performance report, and there's the rather dramatic change that's come over her in the last few months. I smiled at him. You're good for her, Avery. He smiled back, and his eyes went to the overhead where her stateroom would be on the deck above. She's good for me, too, Skipper. I would never have guessed. A gentle smile filled his face. I might have enjoyed that conversation more if it hadn't felt quite so much like salt in the wound, but I was truly happy for him. I also needed to get off the mess deck and find some time to think. Well, I'm going up to the cabin and work on reports. don't want to hand off the ship with that not caught up. He looked at me sharply. You're really going? As far as I know, if she gets her ticket, you'll be making the next trip without me. He winced. I don't know if I should hope she does or hope she doesn't. I snickered a little. Hope she does, Avery. She's a good woman and deserves a little break. I've had more than my share of good breaks, and I can weather whatever this storm will bring. He laughed a little in response. It's hard to feel too sorry for the Quadrant's newest multimillionaire. Well, it hasn't happened yet, I pointed out, but this has been a profitable year. I'm okay. I stood and headed off the mess deck with a nod and a wave. Sleep well, Skipper, he called after me. I headed for the cabin, but at the top of the ladder, the thought of looking at the scarred orbital made me go up one more level to the bridge. I clambered up and took my seat in the captain's chair, swiveling it so that I could look aft out into the busy space around the orbital and the smooth darkness beyond. I sat there for a long time. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a traitor's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode, and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation of Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, or the golden age of the solar clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.